Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Bruskin. I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action, and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. Our panel is life this week. Rebecca Lynch is not with us. We will miss her, but Robert Craig, Executive Director, is here. Robert, good to see you. Good day, everyone. So, folks, it is Halloween. Thursday we record. It is snowing. Um, Anywhere you live, you're going to be getting uh, getting a little early dose of winter uh, here in Wisconsin. But otherwise, we have a very busy week here. Robert, And yes. as we debate, the impeachment um, resolution is all, it being debated on the floor of the House. Uh, so that, that's going on as we speak. Yep, and uh, that is obviously expected uh, to go through. And uh, we have spent a lot of time actually talking about the impeachment because it's so important. We are going to go impeachment light this week other than to say we know that that's that is going to pass. It'll obviously be very partisan. Um, but the big thing is it kicks it into a much more public phase, which will hey, it won't stop the right-wingers and the Republicans from still talking about secrecy. But nonetheless, it's an important step to start bringing this into the public and starting to get this testimony out in uh, into uh, the public sphere where people can hear it. Uh, and that will not be helpful for the president. But we'll talk more about the impeachment down the road. Um, Robert, I wanted to spend, since uh, we're sans Rebecca, diving in on a couple of key topics. Uh, one of them is around uh, climate, and the other will be around health care. And we're actually going to have uh, Claire Zalke join us, our healthcare organizer, to talk a little bit more about health care later in the show. But Robert, wanted to start the show by talking about Robin Voss in particular and his comments this week uh, to Wisconsin Eye around uh, climate change. Uh, Voss was giving a an interview for, for Wisconsin Eye, and he said in this very strange uh, sort of, uh, it's almost like a ramble, that he was trying to attack Governor Evers' task force, that Governor Evers had set up this this uh, task force to look at climate change, which we talked about on the podcast, and see this is very important given what's going on in terms of nothing in the legislature on this being issue. being led by Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes. Absolutely. So, and let's remind everybody, this, this is politics, right? So he goes off and says that the task force is political. Thank you, right? Like, of course it's political. Everything As you opposed to the nonpartisan do, policies yeah, of Speaker Voss. It's like, it's just like the classic, like, trying to trash something that means nothing. It's political, yes. It's all political. Everything you do is political. The fact that you've done absolutely nothing on climate change and he is setting up a task force to try, as he said, to figure out how we can start to do real things that can make a difference. Yeah, that's that's political. It's also smart politics. So he's, of course, upset about it. And then he says, like, ah, oh, what's your ultimate goal if you have this? Uh, you know, I would say that, I don't know, climate change is real. He actually says climate change is real. He says it's probably real. I think real. it is, probably. That he got, but he <laughs> says, it's not in the story that we have here. He also says, because I've heard the tape of this, that, but we really don't know where it's coming from. Well, yeah, I was just about to say, and he said, I have no idea why it's occurring, nor do most people on the planet, which, of course, is absurd, right? We have a very good idea of why this is happening, and we, our problem is an actual political will to do anything about it. You know, Voss himself sticking his head in the sand. But, Robert, this is big, right? We've got Voss essentially admitting for the first time, right, these these jokers love to try to deny that this is even a problem, that this is real. Um, your thoughts, Robert? You know, 
it's hard to know where to begin other than to say when he says most people on the planet don't know where it's coming from. There's only one political party in the whole advanced industrial world that doubts this and says these things, and that's the current Republican Party in the United States of America, which Voss is making, for providing more smoking gun evidence, is a threat to the species. And that'll sound like hyperbole. It's not. In this case, it is not. We are literally still increasing greenhouse emissions every year. The scientific certainty here has been absolute, like near 100% since the Reagan administration. And in fact, we've done more than half the damage since the Reagan administration. With no end in sight, it's still going up every year. We have a chance with something like Green New Deal to intervene and hold the future increase to two degrees more Celsius. We've gone up one degree approximately. These are roughly. If we don't do that, if we do that, by the way, it's still going to be disruptive and dangerous. But it's not going to be species-threatening. It could kill hundreds and hundreds of millions of people. If we go further than that, we go to three, four degrees, literally we're talking about a, a die-off of a huge percentage of our species and most other species on the planet. If we get to six degrees, we're literally talking about Earth uninhabitable, and we act that is actually possible in this century because of what we're doing. And so I know the problem is, Matt, that talking about these nightmare scenarios makes even people who are Democrats like turn off, right? So, but I, I'm talking to Battleground Wisconsin listeners. I would be much more positive in a messaging. We can talk about that later in the bat Battleground Wisconsin. But here's the thing. If you like know a tsunami is about to hit you, I mean, think of it that way. Think about the tsunami. Maybe the tsunami is visible and we know it's on the way. I mean, not just instantly, but you can do some planning. So what Tony Evers is doing and, and empowering Mandela Barnes, who understands this issue very well, Lieutenant Governor, to take the lead on, is, oh, this huge tsunami is coming. Let's do some planning. And then Voss is panning that. I mean, in terms of the stakes, Governor Evers could be cheeked for not making this a bigger priority and, in fact, holding up the budget process over this, given it, people looking backwards when they, if there's a future generations who are talking about what happened and why are their lives miserable, and why did so many people die? I mean, more people than have ever been killed by human activity of any kind, okay? It's, it's astronomically worse than every genocide we know about. Uh, they're not necessarily going to brand this planning process, a task force that, that's announced after the state budget process, as boldness. But you have Robin Voss, and it's so lame, he can't even make a coherent argument. He's arguing against solar and wind because we don't have enough batteries. I don't trust him on that. But we're not getting to 0%, 100% solar and wind tomorrow. And the battery technology is increasing so much that uh, we're, a lot of electric cars are being introduced in the next two to three years that'll run four or 500 miles on a charge. But so you don't need the... There's plenty of... We're talking about dramatically moving to reduce greenhouse emissions by half by 2030, which we have to do to possibly prevent a catastrophe. Robert, I'm glad you brought that up because to me, this is the whole point, right? Like he's so wrong. One, he first says nobody knows what to do about this. And then the two things he raises, wind, building more wind and putting solar everywhere, are actually two of the things that just came out this week in a Harvard study that could be the two biggest things you could do to help the health of the upper Midwest because we're so reliant upon coal. 
and if you actually could displace coal and get wind and solar, which is actual real technology that's available. Solar, the cost of solar, as everybody knows, is dropping wildly. It's becoming very real, actually. And he has a like a 1970s version of what all of oh, this yeah, technology nuclear. is. It's, and he, by the way, that's the other thing he says. He would only way, support nuclear. By electric, the way, that's the only thing he would support. Cars, what? which would make sure that cars are done renewable energy. If we go to renewable energy, are about to in a couple years become cheaper than internal combustion engine cars. But we don't. But we're going to do it on coal right now. We don't have a charging infrastructure built out. No, you don't look. The the here's the shame for people that are much more sort of like America first kind of folks. Like we could have led in solar. But we, we don't. Can. Eh, we don't, though. China, like, is producing and now is a, a huge competitive edge, right? Like, there's a whole bunch of things that, like, because we have been Luddite-like in our political approach. So, yes, this is incredibly political, this task force. It should be because they've done absolutely nothing. And as you said, Robert, it is an incredibly important uh, uh, scenario. Now, to the Evers folks, right? Yeah, great. I'm really happy for the task force. But we have talked about this before. It's kind of the bare minimum. Well, right, Robert. Look, (laughs) we've talked about this before when the budget came out. And it came out, like, I think the week after, the week of the Green New Deal being relaunched. And it just sucking up all the oxygen. People were excited about the Green New Deal. It was visionary. It was actually trying to deal with the reality of our situation and try to come up with something that could take on, take that on at the scale that would also restructure our economy, right? A critical thing. And unfortunately, there was no sort of competing vision here at the state level. And I think there needs to be. We need to have something comparable to that. Even if the Republicans had no chance of passing it, it's just it's got to be it's got to help drive the conversation the way the green and, new deal is now and it needs to come out of this task force yeah and we're working with the task force because we have green new deal projects in Milwaukee which is very exciting in the driftless area Wisconsin that we are organizing deeply in and working with a lot of coalition partners that I'm talking about citizen action in Wisconsin uh, but we need to the democrats soon need to have actual ready proposals what they would do if they got if they got if they got legislative power to match governor evers executive power and i mean very soon i mean to talk about in this next election that we have to we have to cut greenhouse emissions by 45 percent by 2030 to have any chance of preventing genocidal climate change i want to talk more about this on the back end because i think this is a sort of a strategic nexus where we're at going forward Uh, For us here, progressives here in the state, Democrats, thinking going forward just as it relates to certainly working with the governor. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin, where Citizen Action, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. We're talking about the ridiculous comments from Robin Voss. They're helpful in that he's publicly sort of admitting that Climate change is real. Um, but sort then, of, probably, yeah, but probably, but we don't know what's no, causing it. And we won't do anything, and the only thing I would consider is uh, more nuclear, and we can't increase our electric rates, because that's really what the problem is. So Let's I've, kill a huge percentage of the species to keep electric rates lower. By the way, they don't need to go... Uh, they're higher now because the for-profit utilities, which we set up, which are strangling us, right, literally are have a business model that that pays based on financing coal power plants. Mostly what you're paying for is to pay off an unnecessary coal power plant, talking about southeast Wisconsin, uh, that they knew damn well wasn't necessary, um, and uh, that's where the rates are. Solar would be way cheaper. So, 
Robert, you're immediately moving into like yeah. where we ought to go. And and so it's easy for us to make fun of Robin Voss on this, right? Okay, that's the easy part. Now, Robert, I want to have a tougher conversation because mm-hmm. it's real. Um, and it's around the fact is how do you how do we as a progressive movement where we're not in power, i.e. the legislature's gerrymandered, they demonstrated their power uh, in the budget process, right? Our governor essentially, you know, we, we, we took what we could get. You know, and 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 that that was probably our most powerful point. So going forward, right, we're in the situation where the governor is the only one who has any sort of perceived political power. But the problem is in state government, in state government. Correct. That's what I want to talk about here going forward. Um, We need to be in a position where that's not the limit of what comes out of the Democratic Party in terms of vision. Mm -hmm. Right. And so this is going to be challenging because. Um, everybody wants to work with the governor, right? And everyone has ha- high aspirations for the governor. Uh, you mentioned and L- Lieutenant Governor uh, Mandela Barnes. But the reality is there are areas where what the governor is proposing or what was in the budget you know, doesn't really lay out a vision that we think uh, inspires people, right? And so there needs to be space for those visions to start coming out. Uh, and I think, and the reason why I wanted to bring this up on what comes out of this task force, I believe there are a number of things that maybe. Uh, the governor may not necessarily lead on, but we need to have progressive Democrats and others start authoring things that are on the scale of a Green New Deal, that have long-term, big, visionary things that would show the public what it would mean to be have uh, to govern with with Democrats and with progressives, right, and with those visions. Um, so I think that's really important. I think why I wanted to talk more about this is this is the issue where I think a lot of the stuff has to start coming out because. We've, we've got to be big and visionary. The scope and the scale of what we face is, is historic, Robert. Yes, and we're going to be nonpartisan here, unlike Speaker Voss, who doesn't know the meaning of the word. But I will uh, use something Speaker Voss says, which actually, do you know how sometimes they say more than they know? They kind of accidentally hit upon the truth. He's concerned that this is just a process, the task force on climate and renewable energy uh, that Governor Evers has created and Lieutenant Governor Barnes is leading, is just made to ma- uh, designed to make the left feel good. And he's not wrong in the sense that if this doesn't lead to concrete, bold actions, and let me say something to a lot of Democrats, taking risks, is it worth taking a risk in order to not only prevent something really bad, but actually renew this economy? Because this is an incredible opportunity for us to generate our own energy and to spend a huge amount of money on energy efficiency in a way that creates opportunity across rural and suburban and urban Wisconsin and, in fact, create opportunities for areas that are left out, like people of color communities such as in Milwaukee that are living in depression-like conditions. So there's a huge positive to this, but you have to take risks, right? And so this, the Democrats are behind and need to show a lot more willingness, I'm talking about state Democrats, to take risks. It's kind of breathtaking how much bolder all the presidential candidates are in the presidential debates, including the most moderate and what's coming out of the state legislature or Governor Evers. And it's nice that Governor Evers, and very good that he's not a climate denier, that he has signed uh, Wisconsin on, it's on the maps, to meeting the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change uh, standards. That's the benchmarks we've been talking about, and that's the consensus of the top scientists in the world as to what we need to do, so that's great. But having that knowledge 
means you have to act on it. Otherwise, Robin Voss would be right. And you're just trying to say, we're signal we're on the right side while still not taking any of the risk you need to do to deal with the problem. So I think going forward, as we watch what comes out of this task force, right, that's going to be where the rubber meets the road. We're going to have to have, and we certainly want to work with progressive leaders who are interested in bringing this kind of visionary work uh, to the legislature. So, anyways, enough of that. That is really important. I'm glad we could have that conversation. Um, after our next break, I want to dive, Robert, more into uh, healthcare, and we'll have Claire uh, join us. But before then, I do want to talk about a couple of other things that happened this week in the state. Um, one is there was uh, legislation that was introduced yesterday and that is to decriminalize small amounts of marijuana and actually to uh, let people that have these kind of criminal uh, records get them expunged, right? So, um, which we think is really, really important. Again, it's highlighting, again, another issue that Voss and company and Fitzgerald are just on the wrong side and refuse to do anything on where the public is uh, just way ahead of them. But this one's really important because it gets to the nub of... of mass incarceration, right, and trying to deal with why are we locking up people over over these over marijuana offenses. And this has a very specific and real racial component in terms of by four times the amount. And uh, so it, it's just such a clear area uh, showing the just the fundamental uh, lack of I guess I would say morals in our current uh, drug laws, Robert. And we have the largest disparity in incarceration in Wisconsin. And leading in these kinds of rankings, we'll talk about another later, is not, not a great thing. Greatest disparity between incarceration rates of African-American men and white men in the country, more than you name it, Mississippi, Oklahoma, Alabama, Texas, goes on, right? Appalling. You have right-wing sources like the Koch brothers who think that we should decriminalize and move on mass incarceration. There's almost no one who stands up and says that what this society decided to do starting in the 70s and accelerating the 80s and 90s around incarceration to become the greatest incarcerating society in the history of the world. That's what we are. Our percentage of people uh, behind bars is the highest in the world by far, uh, is, is not even defended. But the institution moves on. And even at the local level, local Democrats will say, we just got to add more police officers. They're, everyone's in this kind of default. So people, at least Governor Evers, is moving towards taking real action. Uh, it's amazing. There are Republicans in other states, actually, to their credit, that are taking a lot more action than are Republicans. And so as bad as that party is right now, because it's been taken over by the far right, the most far right uh, kind of know-nothing party in the world, given its position on climate, it's better in other states. States, There are all sorts of Republican red states that are taking a lot more action. So you start to say that Robin Voss is leading a party that's worse than the other Republican parties, which is stunning, particularly given this morning what pieces of the impeachment debate I heard, where, my God, they, 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 they're, they're as bad as climate denial. It was a perfect phone call that Trump had, apparently, Matt. Yeah, and... Obviously, a shout out to the leaders who are helping push this and get this in, you know, get this in the media. Representative Stubbs, uh, Representative Crowley, and uh, Mandela Barnes certainly were involved in some of the media push. But I know this is br much has much broader support amongst the Democrats. But uh, great job on leading on this issue, and we need to keep talking about this because 
Um, we need to speed up the timeline to getting to legalization here and full legalization, not just medical, because uh, we are way behind the other states. And this is an area, uh, we talked about it, if, if you really do care about trying to end mass incarceration, it's just an area, it's a simple no-brainer, it's the right thing to do, uh, and it could lead to, an, you know, it's a revenue stream, an economic revenue stream, and it, by the way, uh, ought to be a union, union work. It's a, it's a lost opportunity that Governor Evers, since there's no opinion polling reason not to, so we don't have to even be Frady cats politically about it anymore. Why didn't he have full legalization in the budget and then spend the revenue on important things like uh, like actually creating uh, first class schools in our state and funding them that way again? Because they're on fumes in many ways after eight years of the Walker administration. So before we go to break, there is. Um and we can we could certainly talk more about it. We're going to talk healthcare though in the next segment. But um, more research again. Uh, Wisconsin has the widest gap uh, in any state in academic achievement between black and white students. Um, so this again another yeah. top. And by the way, credit to Evers, Governor Evers. It was too complicated for people to understand. But his attempt to fully fund special ed, yep. it was misunderstood that that was a huge thing for urban districts. Milwaukee has, because of poverty and lead poisoning and everything else, 25% of its students are special needs, and they don't get the, the money to deal with that student population. So even though you can look at their spending numbers as being okay, they're not given the difference between their populations that they serve and, and these privileged white suburban populations around them in white flight communities. Yeah, so this data is very important because it continues to be just, I mean, Wisconsin usually thinks of itself as doing very well in public education, and it generally does. But these disparities continue to be just a huge issue that, like, if we don't solve in the next decade, like, we're not really tackling the, the core issues. And so um, I'm glad that this is out there, and I'm hoping this becomes more, continues to be a focus into the next budget cycle. But with that, we got to take a break. We're going to talk health care on the backside. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're going to talk health care. Um, obviously, health care is a huge issue here at Citizen Action, and we're very fortunate to have a first-rate health care director here at Citizen Action, Claire Zaki. Claire, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me. So, Claire, I invited you because there was a big Georgetown study that came out this week that I thought was very important, worth mentioning, because it, 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 uh, it reveals where politics and political policy uh, actually plays out in showing up in data. And so this Georgetown study that I want to have you talk more about basically found that our uninsured our, our insured rates for children has dropped nationally um, and in Wisconsin that we're struggling uh, in terms of keeping up with the surrounding states. Claire, why don't you give us the top lines of what the report found and then we'll dive into the implications. Sure. So this is a report published by uh, Georgetown University's Health Policy Institute and their Center for Children and Families. And they basically found that for the second year in a row, the rate of uninsured children in the United States has increased. Um, and I think it's it's worth pointing out that um, from 
2008 to 2016, that rate dropped consistently. There was only um, two years. There were only two years in there um, under President Obama's term then that the rate remained flat. Every other year it dropped. So under Obama, we dropped from 7.6% uninsured children all the way down to um, under 4%, 3.6% underinsured children. And since Trump has become president, that's climbed back up for, to above 4% for the first time um, since since 2015. So we're back up to 4.1% uninsured children. Fake, fake news. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, be quiet, Robert. Claire, keep giving it, us it, facts. It's going to be great. <laughs> um, sorry, sorry. I said that yep. that was... Um, um, I I got myself turned around. So that sorry that was uh, millions of children, not percentage. So Correct. so the um, the it dropped from seven point six million uninsured children to under Obama to um, three point six million, and now we're back up to four point one million. So um, so we're back up above um, we're back up above five percent, per, uh, up to five point two percent uninsured children for the first time um, since twenty fifteen, and I think that's just really really alarming. Yeah. No. And like. The covering children has sort of been the leading edge of of a healthcare indicator because most it's most it's very politically popular to say we're going to cover the kids right um, because you get out of any sort of what the parents might have done to put themselves in a quote situation where they might or might not deserve healthcare according to Republicans so getting kids covered is always it's kind of been something we've all agreed upon and I think um, the numbers that you point out and I'd like to get your comment. Um, seem to demonstrate right the Affordable Care Act, which put a huge priority on Medicaid expansion and making sure every kid had health care, um, played a huge role in cutting the uninsured rate. Talk more about and, and the report. Qu quickly, if it wasn't for John Roberts opening up the loophole that states could turn it down, it would have had even more dramatic impact if the law had been implemented as written as clearly constitutional. But even so, yeah. it had great effects, right, Claire? Yeah, and so there's a later part in the report that shows um, the percent of uninsured children by census poverty threshold in 2018. And so the number of people, or the number of children between 0 and 137 percent, which is the traditional, remember Wisconsin's unique because our Medicaid expansion only goes up to 100% in this sort of quasi-state-funded program. The worst of both worlds. Yeah. Pay more to cover fewer people, yeah. also known as Walker Care. Yeah, and so so traditional Medicaid expansion was up to 138% of the federal poverty line. So, so for children who are within that rate... Um, the percentage of uninsured children has stayed the same, right? And and that's because as you, there's not like a huge rush of states right now expanding Medicaid, right? Everybody who's going to done it has pretty much done it, right? It's harder for those of us who haven't yet. That's why we're still fighting for that here at Citizen Action in Wisconsin. But the increases have come from from children living in 138 to 250% and above 250% of the federal poverty line, right? So I think that this shows that Medicaid expansion is really, really good at holding the line on providing insurance for children and keeping those uninsured rates low, but while the cost of health care and the accessibility of health care has dramatically, um, th that the cost has dramatically increased and the accessibility has dramatically decreased, right? Because we're seeing people who are above the Medicaid expansion line not being able to afford insurance for their children. So these are folks who would be Affordable Care Act eligible, right? So we're seeing that's where we're starting to see increases in uninsured. 
which would make sense given the sabotage that's been going on of, of the Affordable and, Care Act. And this understates the impact of Trump sabotage because this is just who's uncovered, which is huge, right? But the junk insurance plans he's legalized don't cover mental health, don't cover substance use, don't cover other things. So there are people who are covered who are having huge problems and going bankrupt and not getting access to care because of the junk insurance plans he's pushing on them. But uh, so there's another element of this. There are kids in junk insurance plans, thanks to him. But thanks to him. But in this case, as Clarence pointing out, there's also just a large number of kids who just have no coverage whatsoever. Yeah, and I think it's um, something else that's really disturbing about this trend that I wanted to point out because it's really buried deep in the report, but I think it's super important. Is that the the greatest increases by age of these children are the youngest children. So they're babies and newborns and toddlers, right? So from 2016 to 2018, right, the first two years of Trump, uh, Trump's presidency, the uninsured rate jumped from 3.8% to 4.3%. That's an increase of over 13% no. um, for, for babies, toddlers, and preschool-aged children, right? So um, that is, I mean, to me, that's astounding because that's showing that those are um, children who are born in the first few years of Trump's presidency, and and that's going to affect them for the rest of their lives. I mean, think about the importance of regular preventative care, immunizations, um, developmental screenings at that age that yeah. young children need um, in order to live successful and healthy lives, um, and they're not receiving those things because healthcare is just unaffordable right now for their parents. So the report actually went so far as to point out that one of the policies that they believe is impacting this is the crackdown on immigration, that we are seeing that this is limiting Latinx folks' participation in in the process because of, you know, obviously the, this is the government and the interaction about people's confidence or faith that the government actually can help them, Right. Uh, or this, fear that going and getting health care will, will get, uh, get the, the one the member system. of your family, yeah. the, the father, for example, who's not documented, uh, pulled away from his family. Yeah. And so the family separation, people should be aware, is not just occurring at the border. It's occurring every day in our immigration policy. And Obama's policies are bad enough. Let's, we're being very bipartisan in our critiques this sure, episode. Sure. Uh, but now we're actually looking for people who are pillars of their community and have been here 20 years, 15 years, and, and having Gestapo-like raids into their houses and pulling them away from their children right in front of their children. Yeah, and I think... Um I, th I think that's true, um, and I think to go back to Matt's point, some of the evidence in this report, we could, we could, I, I don't want to, you know, we can get an argument about causation versus correlation, right? Yep. But you look at a state like Texas that has 11.2 percent um, of their uh, children uninsured, right? I mean, that is that is a state that's sort of at the heart of this argument about immigration right yep. now. Um, and so so I think your intuition on this point is is absolutely correct. I mean, can you imagine living in a state where more than one in 10 children is uninsured? Yeah, and no, I can't wait because Texas is rapidly becoming a person of color majority state. It's going to eventually be California. It'll be a tipping point where folks of color... Latinos and African American take over power in the state and things dramatically change, but they're being oppressed now by some very reactionary white people. And one other thing that's worth pointing out is this report continues to show that while we're not like 
hemorrhaging insurance rates here in Wisconsin, we continue to underperform our are immediate border states and specifically points out that the Medicaid expansion would certainly more would certainly more than make up the difference, um, which again shows just the absurdity well, of this, yeah, this policy. We were talking about climate denial in the earlier segment, Claire. So just as you know, not reducing greenhouse emissions will be damaging. In this case, gee, undermining healthcare programs or not taking advantage of them, that's the Wisconsin thing, right? It's going to make fewer people have health coverage. Shocking, surprise, surprise. Shut the and front I door. want to repeat again, we are the only state in the union that is paying more to cover fewer people, and Robin Voss is continuing that. And we probably need to use that messaging a little more. I think it's sharper than some of the messaging we heard on our side. But quite frankly, the other states that turned down Medicaid simply didn't expand it at all. We decided to, we could have for a lot, lot less money gone all the way up to the ACA rate. The only reason we didn't is because Walker didn't want anything to do with the Affordable Care Act. And now, and Voss defended this and, and, the, and the Republicans and, and used gerrymandered legislatures to prevent common sense acceptance of money to expand health care for the people of Wisconsin. Claire, some final thoughts on the report. Um, so um, I, I will second what you said about Wisconsin. Um, Medicaid expansion would certainly um, be, make a big a big dent in bringing us closer in line with the surrounding states as far as rates of uninsured children. But I also, uh, maybe I do when we get back, want to make a yeah. plug for Affordable Care Act enrollment. We're going to do that. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back after this commercial. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to the Battleground, Wisconsin. We are joined by Claire Zaki, our director of healthcare here at Citizen Action. We're talking about a Georgetown study that came out this week that showed that we are continuing now for the second year in a row to have increasing rates of uninsured amongst children. And here in Wisconsin in particular, uh, we continue to have higher uninsured rates for children uh, compared to our surrounding states. And Claire, you, we had we had a good discussion of uh, the role that uh, not accepting the Medicaid money plays in there, but you want to talk more about the Affordable Care Act and things coming up, too, that could uh, impact this. Yeah, so um, I, I think it is worth um, being transparent about the fact that Wisconsin has a lower than national average rate of uninsured children, right? So we're at um, 3.8% and the rest of the... Um, I think we're like 20th or something like that nationally. Or yeah, something. yeah, right. But there's only one state that has a lower uninsured rate, rates of uninsured children than us that is not a Medicaid expansion state, right? So, right. so I think that shows that we could be among the top of the, the we country. We used to be before the ACA. We were top two or three in every healthcare category. Yeah. So I think the I think the that demonstrates a couple things, right? Which is, you know, one, it's good that we cover children up to 100 percent or people up to 100 percent of the federal poverty line, right? Like that's good. It's not amazing. We should be better, but at least it's done in a self-destructive way. It but is yes. done in a self-destructive way. <laughs> but, right. Yes. But it could be worse. But it, yes, right. Exactly. But it could be worse. We could be Texas. Right. Um, and so, um, and I think it also shows that Wisconsin's community has really rallied around enrolling people in the Affordable Care Act, which means that, and we could have a whole other conversation about whether now once you have insurance, is it actually affordable for any able for you to, is it less a good enough, so. plan, a robust enough plan? And, and do you have enough, 
financial resources to actually avail yourself of your insurance, right? Um, But um, we have been in Wisconsin really good about getting people enrolled um, in the marketplace um, who need to purchase, people who need to purchase their insurance. Um, And I think this is a good plug for the fact that um, open enrollment for um, the the Affordable Care Act's marketplace um, begins, what, this is going to air on November 1st, so it begins today. Um, enroll. Enroll in healthcare. <laughs> and we're no longer advertising open enrollment, thanks to Trump. Yeah. So we need all of you to spread the word. Absolutely. And I want to bring up a little bit of danger, danger, red flag here for us to all be on our toes because we cannot forget that the Affordable Care Act legitimacy in its entirety is being challenged in federal court right now and the texas texas v- again texas what's up with texas well, the second our, the second plaintiff was wisconsin just to be clear uh so. i i'm looking right at matt and he yelled that so loud that i literally jumped in my chair in case anybody's wondering no hazard about case, working with matt in case you didn't notice this texas place is producing bad things he's a little volatile sorry sometimes. claire sorry to interrupt oh my gosh no you're fine um yeah i want to i want to lift up what robert said which is thank goodness that we have um you know a new administration and a new attorney general who were able to pull us out of this lawsuit right so wisconsin's no longer a party to it Hold on number two yep <laughs> yep um but um we have been expecting this decision to come down for months now and it hasn't and i am getting increasingly concerned that we are going to get a negative decision from this court um recommending that the affordable care act be overturned in its entirety which is what attorney general william barr is arguing for yep yep and that that will come down during the open enrollment period deliberately so deliberately so um which would have very likely a chilling effect on people enrolling in healthcare coverage, um, which which I think is 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 just like a level of evil <laughs> that I that there I didn't is, originally think could happen, and now I am so concerned about. There is hand wringing in conservative circles that Trump has not been able to discourage enough people from enrolling in the ACA because all of this is supposed to like send it to a death spiral, and since they need health insurance, it's been remarkably stable. Yeah, so, I mean, I want to fully acknowledge that um, me saying this has a tinge of conspiracy theorists to it, um, but I also think it's a very real threat, right? I think if people see news coverage that says, you know, Affordable Care Act ruled unconstitutional, overturned in federal court, that they may think the exchanges have gone away, I don't have a right to health care coverage anymore, and won't enroll, where we know, in fact, that those exchanges are going to stay in place, they're not just going to fall off of the internet. We know the repeal debates did that. People saw the headlines about the House passing full repeal. Sure. And they thought it was gone. Yeah. Because they don't follow this process and realize that he had to go through the Senate. Right. Well, and we live in a world where you just read headlines, yeah. right? Like, who yeah. has the time, right? So, like, if you're an average person and you're scrolling Facebook and you see somebody shares a link that says federal courts rule Obamacare unconstitutional, Right, like, like that's it. That's all you're going to you look just at. Hear the headline, on the radio, and that's it. Yeah, and so, but, but, like I said, like we know that the exchanges are going to still be there. We know that those plans are still going to be offered. It would be. It's going to take a while before anything would change. And also, totally insider baseball. But we know that Trump is worried about the fact that he doesn't have a replacement plan for the Affordable Care Act ready to go in case in case the ACA should go away. And so, it is very likely 
that this will either go to the U.S. Supreme Court, um, in which case you know action probably wouldn't be taken until SCOTUS rules on it, or the Trump administration would say, "Can we leave the status quo in place for a?" an undetermined period of time while I try to figure out what should replace it. Um, and so either way, people will make so, it through this enrollment process, period, and we need them to still be enrolling. You're raising a really important point, and that is I had wondered for a long time, how can they want to strike down the Affordable Care Act and take health care away from 20 million people before an election? And I just thought, you know, it showed how ideological they were, but there are news reports that now they're getting worried about it. And so the delay in the Texas case is may at least be part of a strategy to get this not to be taken up by the current Supreme Court docket so it doesn't get done right before the election. Uh, but that so they're very worried about this, right? Um, at some level, and as far as conspiracies, right? Conspiracies sometimes are true. <laughs> and there's been a conspiracy to undermine the Affordable Care Act that has been a very public one at every possible <laughs> turn with the full cooperation with right-wing justices, because right-wing justices are politicians in robes. They're not independent jurists. Well, this debate, this this all got started with the study, right, which was a study that came out with some very good factual numbers and actually had the researchers talking about the sabotage of the Affordable Care Act being the reason behind seeing a lot of these numbers. So, Claire, it was very, it was very helpful to have this discussion about the ACA being further at risk with Texas. And, and again, we don't want people to be worried that because it may be in risk legally, you need to sign up. If you haven't signed up again, the open enrollment period is going to be all throughout November. It's a very important period. And it is, it is good to, worth noting, right, that Governor Evers did put more res, uh, money in, in the budget for folks to help navigate uh, folks through the ACA process since, as, as uh, had been mentioned here, Trump had cut a lot of that funding and is not actually helping educate the public about this. But again, uh, open enrollment has started. So with that, Claire, would you like to stay with us? We, we have just a few minutes. We want to talk about Sean Duffy. Oh, sure. Matt's yes. favorite guy. I love, so I love to talk about Duffman, right? Because Duffman never is going to go away. Um, we we thought maybe he'd go a little more quietly after he retired, but uh, we we really questioned whether the Duff man was really serious about retirement and spending more times, time with the kids. He seems to be on national cable news a out lot. of Wisconsin a lot and a not lot. back with the family, he's but in, hey. He's in D.C. a lot. Well, Duff man really stepped in. <laughs> Unfair for me to comment on that. <laughs> the, the Duff man really stepped into it this week um, in his new role, his new very important role at CNN. He had the audacity to actually question the allegiance of um, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vidman, who ha had very punishing testimony uh, against the president uh, this week, uh, and essentially questioned whether... Uh, this gentleman was truly loyal to the country. This is someone who has a purple heart, who by all accounts is like about as pro-American as you can get. Um, Duffy almost immediately started to backpedal from this. And CNN is defending him. It sounds like he is going to remain. But um, any thoughts before we go? Uh, Claire, you should get first crack at the Duff man. We, I've, I know what Robert thinks about the Duff man. I, I mean, I'll say I think this is just a clear crystallization of 
of loyalty to party over loyalty to country. And, and that is uh, so, so disturbing. I mean, we should be able to all just say, you know, this person clearly left parts of their body on, on the battlefield. And, and, and if that isn't loyalty to your country, I don't know what this it is. This is your modern Republican Party. All their claims about belief, support for the troops and support for the folks who've committed their lives to protecting the national security of the country, the national security itself, don't matter once it's about power, loyalty to party, and to Trump, Trump's all. Uh, the other thing this week that we should say as we close is, is that uh, our other great right-wing uh, member of Congress, Senator Ron Johnson, that is, uh, who is caught up in the whole Ukraine affair and is probably going to end up being a witness at some level, uh, said he will not recuse himself in the impeachment trial today and that he he could be objective and he owed it to the voters to represent them. So stay tuned for more on that. Well, I'm sure he will perform very well in the public eye. With that, <laughs> we are going to, with so much of that to look forward to Ron Johnson on TV, um, we're going to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin. Claire, we want to thank you for educating us on the study and also what uh, what we have to look forward to with Texas. Enroll in healthcare. Yes, enroll in healthcare, folks. Sign up November 1st. Uh, thanks, Claire, for joining us. But with that, we're going to wrap this up. You've been listening to Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org.